Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. I got a really simple thought for you today. Not going to take a whole lot of your time. And uh, we'll just dive right in. All right. Ephesians 4. Pastor Derek said I could do whatever I wanted to do. I thought about making everybody line up on two sides and we just do like a soul train thing. <laughs> All the introverts in the room like me are going, oh God. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech ye that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Verse 2 says this, it says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. There's something really interesting that happens in these two verses. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, obviously, and um, I like what he says in the opening line because he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Here's what's interesting. Paul is reminding everybody that's reading this letter and everyone that's reading it and heard it today that, yeah, I'm in jail. I done got locked up. Like, that's what he's saying. He is in prison. He's in Rome. And if you don't know much about Paul's imprisonment, the first half of his imprisonment was pretty easy. He was on house arrest. He didn't have an ankle monitor because he didn't have that back then. He was literally chained to a Roman centurion. He got to go in the market. He got to have a normal life. He got to do all these things, and it was awesome. The second half of his imprisonment was in a dungeon. Here's something interesting about Roman dungeons back in the first century. They didn't have, like, this big supermax prison like what we have today. No, the dungeons, they converted part of the sewer as a dungeon. So Paul was literally living underground in a dungeon, in a sewer, and could see, hear, and smell life passing him by every single day. And then he opens up right here in what we would call the fourth chapter, which is just a transition in one letter that he wrote to Ephesus. And he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. You see, it didn't matter if he was in a dungeon or if he was chained to a centurion. He knew who he was and what he was. He was the Lord's. You see, it didn't matter what was temporarily happening in his situation. He didn't lose sight of his eternal situation, which was, I am the Lord's and he is mine. You could take note today and understand something. You can learn something right here. Sometimes you help other people when you encourage yourself. All right, sometimes you have to encourage yourself because there's no one readily available to encourage you. And in doing so, someone else gets blessed by it. You get yourself up out of the dumps, but it helps somebody else as well. Paul opens this that way, and he says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. Don't be fooled by my current circumstances. I may be in a jail cell right now, but my eternity is heaven, and nothing can hold me back, nothing can stop me, nothing can keep me from getting there. He, he didn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome. He said I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes life feels like a prison. Sometimes your circumstances feel like a prison. Your situation feels like a prison. And when you encourage yourself, because you have to sometimes, we call that words of affirmation. That's a psychological term. Learn how to affirm yourself. How do you do that? Well, I guarantee you, if you look back over all the stuff that's holding you back, and if you're really, really careful, you can look back and see God's fingerprints in every situation. You say, well, he was in a prison cell. Yeah, but he also had a pen and a piece of papyrus where he could actually write a letter. He had someone come in, and he would start talking, and they would start scribing. 
And because he encouraged himself, we're encouraged today because we're sitting here reading his letter. We're sitting here taking something from his letter and applying it to our lives. You have the same ability and the same opportunity to do that every day you live. What I'm saying is, is today, if we adopt a mindset that says, I am his and he is mine, and regardless of where I go or what happens, that never changes, you'll be able to encourage yourself. You'll be able to encourage yourself. That's just a little tidbit, commercial break. So Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy. So think about this. He says walk. He uses the word walk. All right? So the word walk, in a figurative way, is talking about your life. It's about the direction of your life, the destination of your life, the objectives of your life, the goals of your life, all these things. And what Paul's doing when he uses the word walk is he's pretty much canceling out anybody that wants to be a Christian but not do anything. Because the word walk ascribes action to your Christian life. You know what's happened to the Western church? This isn't a hobby horse sermon. I'm, I'm going to move pretty quick. You know what's happened to the Western church? We've got a bunch of churches with a bunch of people that don't do nothing. I'm going to come down on the floor for this. You start throwing stuff. We've got a bunch of churches with a bunch of people that don't do anything. They come in and they come out. They stand, they sit, they sing, and then it's deuces until next Sunday. And most of them don't even have God anywhere in the atmosphere of the zip code of where their life is. And then when they find themselves chained down to something that they don't understand, they want to know why. They want to know, why am I getting beat up this time? Why is this happening in my life? Now think about this for a second. He said that you walk. Action, right? Action. I'll give you a really simple, rudimentary um, illustration here. I like ice cream sandwiches. A lot. My wife's out of town. I'm hanging out with my dogs yesterday. My dogs like ice cream sandwiches too. So we got some ice cream sandwiches. Now, as a measure of safety, I put them in my extra fridge in my office. That way I have to actually think and take action to go get one. But I know where they are. And we're sitting on the couch. And I'm watching the Men's College World Series. And the Holy Ghost was like, you need an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> I sure do. I'm looking at my 85 American bully. He's like, did you say ice cream sandwich? The Tawini comes out from underneath the covers. Now... Just to exercise self-control, I only get two ice cream sandwiches <laughs> instead of four. And I go back, and I sit down, and I'm unwrapping my ice cream sandwich. Start to eat my ice cream sandwich. My bully has a huge head and these huge jowls. And he's sitting on the floor just looking at me. <laughs> Never breaks gaze at me, just... He's watching me chew. He's watching me do all this. And I'm not really paying attention because I'm watching baseball. You know when I noticed it? When the slobber hit my foot. <laughs> I said, good Lord, man. So, I mean, he's my baby. So, yeah, I gave him a bite of the ice cream sandwich. Here's the point. I was sitting there doing nothing and decided that I wanted something that I like, right? Therefore, I had to get up and walk. 
into my home office, go to my freezer, get two ice cream sandwiches. That's simple and rudimentary, but think about it like this. If you want to really have breakthrough in your life, if you really want to live a life that God's created you to lead, then guess what you got to do? You got to get up and you got to start walking, right? You got to start walking. Ice cream sandwiches are great, but eternity in heaven is even better. You know what? Having a little bit of heaven on earth is even better than that sometimes when you think about it because you're living in the right now. And each and every one of you have the ability to do that. Most of us just want to be stationary and we don't want to move. We want heaven to fall and we want all these things to happen, but we don't want to do anything. And that's not how this works. That's not how Christianity works. He ascribes action. When we walk, that means we're going somewhere. Where are we going? What is our destination? What's the objective or the goal? As a Christian, it should be to spread the good news, right? Spread the good news. Take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. You know why? Because that's what Jesus has compelled and commanded us to do. It's not this 17-page thesis paper. What has God done in your life? What has God done for you? What is God doing through you? Now go share that with somebody. You can't do that just sitting on the couch thinking about ice cream sandwiches, though. You actually got to get up and you got to go. Paul doesn't just say walk, though. He says walk worthy. Worthy means of sufficient weight. What Paul is saying here is he's telling us to begin acknowledging what Christ has poured into us instead of whatever worth we feel or don't feel in ourselves. You see, we get so caught up on feeling like we're not good enough or we're not capable or we're not eligible or we're disqualified. And the reality is, is none of that matters. None of that matters. Because God, God has poured so much into us, even through the bad things. Think, think, about, all the, think about all the adversity you've had in your life. And I know some of you have had a lot, so have I. You can literally see his fingerprints when you look. When you're intentional and you choose to look and you choose to walk in that direction, you see his fingerprints. We're going to be talking about walking a lot today, all right? So I just, just stay in your chair if you want to. I mean, you can walk around. You're not going to bother me. I'm crazy too. Thanks, boss. Simply put, a walk worthy of the vocation becomes worthy when we walk from a place of earnest dependence on the one we're walking for. Who are you walking for? Are you walking for yourself? Or are you walking for him? Because when we're walking for him, that being the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll give you an example. In the book of Acts, the apostles are founding the church, and I think it's in chapter 4. They heal a man that couldn't walk, and they end up getting arrested. And they're basically like on this little mini trial. And Peter, who was not the most eloquent of speech, is the mouthpiece at this point. And he says something to the regard to the Sanhedrin, the ones who had arrested them and were questioning them about this thing that had been done because they did it on the Sabbath. And he said, well, he said, you know, he said, I didn't do it of myself. He said, everything that we've done and everything that's happened, it only comes through the name and the power of Jesus of Nazareth, who you have crucified. He said, there's no other name under heaven by which men shall be saved. This walk that you're living has less to do with what you think about yourself and more to do about what God's called you for. When I get all in my head about who I am and what I've got, it always limits me and it always puts a boundary line somewhere where God has intended for me to go further from. And that's what happened in this room a little bit earlier. That's what happened. And that's why we could not allow ourselves to go forward until we rectified that situation, until we fixed that. 
by being obedient to God and doing exactly what he's called us to do. How do you walk worthy? How do you do that? Well, it's cool because in verse 2, he gives you all the ingredients. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Lowliness and meekness is such an unattractive quality in the world. Humility and unselfishness? Dog. You mean i got to be a doormat? You mean I'm just supposed to absorb all of this and not have no hard feelings and not, not, not take it to heart? Look, I told the pre-service gathering this. Jesus gave us an example, and he said, if you want to be great, then serve. And if you want to be first, make yourself last. Lowliness and meekness starts by you being second. It starts by me being second. It starts by us being second. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from hard work. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from operating in a spirit of diligence or having focus. It doesn't exempt you from struggles. As a matter of fact, what it's going to do is it's going to amplify all of that. Like, I'm not going to lie to you this morning. It's going to amplify all that. There are going to be days where you're sitting there pulling your hair out, and, and, and you're going crazy, and you're losing your mind, and you're thinking, why is this happening right now? Lowliness and meekness. Humility and unselfishness. You start by being second. The world's going to convince you that these traits are weak and passive, and it means that you become a doormat for others. But here's what I want you to understand about these first two. It requires an enormous amount of strength to operate in this spirit. It does. And, and, and here's the better part of it. What it does is it calls you to not be reactive. How many of you just go off like a bomb? I see the hand in the back. You're just like, man, if just one thing happens right now, I'm about to... I used to be like that too. I'm still like that sometimes. It just depends on what it is. It's a process of growth and work, right? You, you, you want to know, my, you wanna know my, my red button is? It's really simple. I'm a parent. My red button's my kid. It is. It is. And it can be something that involves him, something that's attached to him. It can be him himself. He just turned 18. I've done a little jujitsu in my past. I'm about ready to pop an elbow out of place. Say, well, is that what the Lord would do? I don't know, but I feel like it's what he wants me to do right now. <laughs> Lowliness and meekness requires an enormous amount of strength. Check this out. I, I said this a couple weeks ago. If you were here, you probably remember this. A true warrior exhibits control and calmness in the face of adversity. Check this out. When all hell's breaking loose and everything's falling apart, I want to find the person that's not affected by it. Matter of fact, I want to be the person that's not affected by it. Someone that's calm and someone that's not affected by the things that are happening around them. You should literally have the ability to wage war and fight instead of just absorbing things all the time. You do that through operating in this spirit because what it does is it gives you a sound mind. That's a biblical term. And it allows you to go into the heavenlies, into the next realm and pray and, and, and do things that allow you to operate on a different level. All this temporary stuff that happens in this world, everybody's torp about everything that's happening in society and culture. If you actually read your Bible, you would realize all this stuff's supposed to happen. It's just history repeating itself. It's not an excuse, and it doesn't abdicate us from carrying the gospel. What it does, what it, what it does not do is allow us to get all tore out of the frame and be closed off to loving people and reaching people for Jesus. 
Like, think about it for a second. What would be one of the greatest misdirections and devious things the enemy could do? Get you focused on everything else except the gospel. Because he knows that the gospel is what changes lives. The gospel is what changes the world. The Sanhedrin even said it in the book of Acts. He said, who are these unlearned fishermen that have turned the world upside down? A simple message that they were sharing freely and publicly. We spend millions of dollars on facilities to do the same thing. And they were literally on the porch at the temple doing it. We, ain't, we, ain't, we don't do that. All this happens when you start to understand it's not about you. It's not about you. You should have the ability to fight and wage war. But humility and self-control should be the first response of those who walk worthy. You want to walk worthy? Don't be reactive. Work on it. Work on it. Make it a point. Write it in your journal. Put, write it on your mirror, whatever you need. But make it a point where I don't want to be reactive. My first response needs to be humble, and it needs to be self-control. The problem that we have with humility and unselfishness is that it takes a lot of patience. Oh, somebody knows where I'm going. <laughs> we are impatient. Is that? That's right, isn't it? Yeah? You know what impatience does? Impatience leads you to indignation. You don't believe me? Try to go get something to eat after you leave here. You didn't eat breakfast. All you had was a cup of coffee. Is he ever going to shut up so we can leave? You don't have to worry about that today, y'all. I'm in and out quick. And you go somewhere to get something to eat. And you set yourself down. And let it take more than 15 minutes to get your food. I ain't leaving her no tip. Go through a drive-thru. That's the best place. You're supposed to be in and out in like three minutes. And they got the wrong crew working at Chick-fil-A on a Saturday. You went to the Cracker Barrel and they're understaffed. Guess what happens, man? You get impatient. Impatience leads to indignation. Indignation is really simple, man. It's a really simple thing. So it's anger or annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment. You and I will get tore out of the frame of something we think is unfair. And the reality is, is that life is unfair. The world is unfair. Sin is unfair. But we have a Savior that put us level with God. So it doesn't matter about the unfair things that come into our lives. Take advantage of what you have. Take advantage of what you have and live in the fullness of who you are in Christ. We get so inconvenienced, man, and we get so upset. Paul says, not, yeah, Paul says with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, that's... The ingredient. You and I are impatient. And Paul says, well, you have all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering. That's a Bible term. Long-suffering is a Bible term. Having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. Y'all chewing your food? What's up? It's part of your walk now as a Christian. Patience is obtained when we trust God with the result, right? We do our part, we do our work, but the outcome is up to Him. That's tough. Can we park right there for just a second? Have you ever put your whole heart into something and you had an expectation and a plan, but somewhere in that expectation and plan you forgot to involve God, so you put your whole heart into it and then it doesn't work out the way you think it should, right? 
Maybe you ran further a little ahead than what God was willing to go. Maybe you got impatient and you decided to do all these things on your own and then it fell apart or it never materialized and then you were upset and you were lit down. How many of you would be willing to say that it was your fault or was it somebody else's? Because most people, most people don't want to take responsibility. Most people would rather abdicate responsibility and cast that on someone else or something else. Here's why it didn't work out. It just wasn't the right time. The market wasn't good. You know, I, had, I got bad counsel. And the, and the reality is, is that we didn't operate with long-suffering. You see, we're too quick to trust ourselves instead of slowing down and trusting him. When you trust him, you've got to understand something, man. That's a process. It's a process. Trusting him is a process. Because nothing ever happens when you want it to. Nothing ever happens how you want it to. It happens when he wants it to and how he wants it to. And it's a process. That's why he said, with long suffering. Think about this transaction right here. So, this is a literal thing you can do. I'm practical and I like to give you action items. A literal thing you can do when you're operating in lowliness, meekness with long suffering. When you have something like that. Literally sit down at a table and have a conversation with God. I'm going to like a fool and crack a barrel. Who cares? Have a conversation with God and literally take that thing that you're all wrapped up in and literally push it across the table. You see, because if I hold on to this thing too long, it's going to become poison. But if I give it to God, he could turn it into provision. You see that? Like, like, like if, if I try to do this in my own power, in my own volition, I'll probably miss something or mess something up, which means the fallout of that isn't just what it does to me, but what it does to everyone else around me. Because each and every one of you as Christians, you have a sphere of influence. There are people that are watching you. There are people that are looking at you, and they're studying you because they want to know what this Jesus thing is that you have. And, and, and it takes a lot of diligence, but with, when we have long-suffering, the easiest thing to do is to surrender those things. Like, we surrender those things. We don't hold on to them. We let them go. You know, he says, forbearing one another in love. With all lowliness, meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing means that we hold up. We hold one another up, and we do that in a couple of different ways. When we're forbearing people in love, that means we're available. Availability is a big deal in Christianity. Availability is a big deal if you're walking worthy because you're available to people. And it's not always about trying to evangelize. It's not always about discipleship. Sometimes it's just a physical action where you're available and you're present in the moment. You're not all up in your phone. You're not worried about what's in your inbox. It doesn't matter if the world's on fire. You're available and you're present for someone. Paul's saying forbearing one another in love, holding each other up. Also holding each other accountable. Holding each other to a standard of excellence. Holding each other to a God standard. So there's a, there's a simple story in Scripture about a guy who took a walk. And uh, you probably know it. Jesus told this story. There was a young man that went to his father, and he asked for his inheritance early. His dad just couldn't die quick enough. 
And he goes and he says, why don't you just go ahead and give me my inheritance? And so the father obliges, right? Come on back up here, man. The father obliges him, gives him his inheritance. And the scripture says that he goes off into a far, far away country and he wastes his living, his substance on riotous living, right? So think about it like this. There's three parts to your life. There's the past, there's the present, and there's the future. And all three parts of your life are associated with a type of walk you have. Number one, your past walk is an important thing because that's what you surrender to Christ. Okay? Your present walk, once you've surrendered to Christ, is where you serve Christ. It's the future walk that we have trouble with because we can't see it. We can't feel it. We have a vision, but we don't quite understand it. And we get mixed up, man. And sometimes the past comes back up and it keeps us from getting to the future and it dictates what we do in the present. Like if we're serving Him in the present, sometimes when the past comes up, we feel unworthy. We don't feel good enough. And we'll stop. Your past life is important because you surrender it to Christ. Your present life is where you serve. The future is where you understand that God has sequential events that are going to happen. And it's your job to trust. That man went off into that country. He wasted his substance with riotous living. And then one day... The Bible says he came to himself. He had an epiphany. He'd gotten to the point where he was homeless. And he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he was working on the pig farm. And one day he was feeding the pigs. And he was so hungry because he was so famished. Because he had no money. He had no way of doing anything. That he was looking at these husks from this carob tree. And he said, I just eat some of this. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's house have bread? And I'm dying over here of hunger right now. And here's what we do. Watch this. He said, I'll go to my father. And I'll tell him, hey, I wasted what you give me on riotous living and a sinful lifestyle. And if you'll just make me as one of your hired servants, I'll serve you, I'll work, I'll live with the slaves, I'll be a slave. And he gets all this solidified in his mind. And when he left his father's house, he left in a chariot. And when he started going back to his father's house, he was walking. You see, everybody in here is walking right now. Some of you are still walking in the past because you've got stuff that hurts and it's painful. It has a lot of shame, has a lot of guilt and regret attached to it, and you're not ready to surrender it. Therefore, you will continue to live in that past and walk in that past until you surrender it. Some of you are in the present right now. You so desperately want to figure out what you're supposed to do for God that you're doing everything, and you're being impatient. You're getting impatient. And here's what happens when you get impatient. You get impatient, it leads to indignation. And you're going to miss what God wants to do because you're trying to run in front of Him. Some of us have surrendered, and some of us are serving currently. And we've gotten a glimpse of future. A glimpse that we can, we can almost taste and feel. 
And unless we understand that that outcome's up to him and not up to us, we'll mess that up too. This young man rationalized a plan and begins to walk home. He's going to fix all of it. He's going to fix all of it. He's going he's to admit that he was wrong. He's going to fall down and he's going to accept his punishment. He's going to go be a hired servant upon his father's farm. And, and remember, he was a long journey away from his father's house. And here's the interesting thing. As he's journeying, he's going through this plan daily. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. And he was on a mission. And it says that one day, his father looked out upon the horizon and he saw a figure coming across the hill. And it says that the father ran to meet the son. He ran to meet the son. And the Bible's really specific. It says that he ran to him, he fell on him, he kissed his neck, he put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and put a new garment on him. Now, really simple story, right? What's the significance? If we're talking about a walk that's worthy, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're over there in the past somewhere. You're struggling in the present. Or you can't quit daydreaming about the future. Understand this. When you're ready to walk home, He's waiting. Not only is He waiting, He's expecting it. That's the beautiful part about the story that we miss. When it says that the Father looked on the horizon and He saw Him, that means that every single day the father looked on the horizon. You know why? Because from the time the kid left his daddy's house to the time he came back, the father knew he was going to come back. He knew he was going to come back one day, and he knew he wasn't going to come back the way he left. He knew all of that, and he did it anyways. And this young man comes across the hill, and, and he falls on him and kisses him on the neck. Understand something. The world's going to see you a lot different than what God sees you. The significance of the story is really simple. The father fell on the son and kissed him on the neck for one reason and one reason alone. Was he happy to see him? Sure. Absolutely. Answered prayer. But more importantly, if he hadn't have, those hired servants that he was going to go live amongst and work with would have stoned him before he ever made it to his father's house. They would have murdered him in the street because of his sin and his disobedience. And if you choose to stay in that past walk, Without surrender, that's exactly what that sin will do to you. It'll do that to your hopes, it'll do that to your dreams, and eventually it will physically do that to you. It will. And if you're in the present, and you're getting impatient, and you just can't wait, because you've got to know, you've got to have, you've got to do, you've got to be. Understand this. God's expectancy for you is based on your obedience. The things that you see that God showed you are for an appointed time. Maybe it's not right now. Maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe you're just part of the setup. Maybe. Jeremiah 29 is a really interesting chapter in the Bible because he's writing to the exiles in Babylon and he tells them, he says, build houses, plant gardens, plant vineyards, give your daughters to be married, give your sons he says, pray for the peace of the city in which you dwell. They have been carried away captive. And he writes this letter. And we all know the famous verse of Scripture. Where it says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Right? 
to give you an expected end. I'd encourage you today with this. If you're walking worthy or you want to walk worthy of the vocation with which you have been called, understand that it takes patience, it takes faith, and it takes a lot of inner strength on your part. Lean in to who He is in your life. And stop trusting so much on yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.